We have a text to anchor our thoughts uh, on this morning, and it's from <coughs> chapter 3 of Colossians and verse 16, <coughs> where we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Nice to have uh, Williams folks with us uh, recently, and when they were here, I was uh, chatting with George, his, his father, and we were reminiscing about Westminster Seminary, where we had both studied. And George was recalling a, a time when he had just gone to Philadelphia and was getting settled down. And Sinclair Ferguson, who was one of the, the professors at Westminster, asked him where he was worshiping, and George told him where this was and met with approval. And then Sinclair uh, said that he valued so much the discipline of being settled in a church. And it's remarkable that over the years, because quite a while back, that, that comment stuck with George, that this, this great hero, we both hold him in the highest of, of esteem. He's written scores of books. He's a spiritual giant, uh, international conference speaker. Here's Sinclair Ferguson saying how much he valued the discipline of being settled in the local church. Discipline uh, usually uh, conjures up uh, negative associations for us. It's like onions, it uh, turns up the nose. Uh, we think of it as people being dragged before the courts of the church and being penalised. Well, there is a sign of discipline which involves uh, people being rebuked and privileges being withdrawn from them. And it is a sign of discipline that the, a gospel church should take seriously. Uh, and we find in the New Testament uh, a lot spoken about it. Paul warns in uh, <coughs> uh, the Corinthians that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. Uh, we would say a rotten apple spoils the barrel. Okay? If you have somebody uh, who's living uh, in the church in good fellowship and is continuing to practice uh, an immoral life or is doing things which are contrary to the gospel, that is going to affect the fellowship. It's also going to affect the, the standing of the, the church in the community. And so there are disciplinary procedures. There is a process involved. Uh, and we'll be looking at that next time. Uh, but when that happens, when, when somebody is uh, brought to the attention of the church session before the elders, the, the aim is always, scripturally uh, it's quite clear, the aim is always uh, that there should be restoration. That the person should acknowledge uh, sin and should be restored to uh, the privileges of the Lord's table or baptism, uh, and should be fully integrated again in the fellowship. Sadly, the reality is that that often doesn't happen, that uh, very often there's a, there's a complete breakdown uh, when that takes place. And the reason is that, biblically, there is another form of discipline, and we're going to be calling it formative discipline, that should be part of the church culture. 
before anybody is ever brought to the more negative form of discipline. So that somebody uh, is growing up in an atmosphere of, of love and, and, and correction and encouragement, and therefore responds well, should they lapse, to the more formal processes of discipline. Those of us who are, are parents know that a child is much more likely to respond positively to correction if they are growing up in a family atmosphere where there is care, where there's love, where there's affection, and where there are real boundaries. Uh, if these things are not in place, and then, bang, there is, uh, you know, the, the physical correction or the, the withdrawing of, of privileges, then that very often meets with resentment. Think what it would be like if uh, you were walking down the street and uh, you saw somebody else's child misbehaving and you pulled them over by the, the ears <laughs> to you and gave them a good uh, whack. That would, A, be greeted with resentment. It could also possibly lead to you being brought before the police, but <laughs> uh, it would not serve any useful function because you don't have a relationship with that person. It's not your, uh, your child. Uh, they are only going to respond with uh, resentment to that kind of treatment. So what we're saying is that there is a very necessary uh, atmosphere of discipline within the church which acts as spiritual hygiene which seeks to ensure holiness within the church. And that formative discipline is something which involves every member. Every member in a gospel church has an informal ministry. That unfolds very often at the end of the epistles. You come to the end of the epistles. Paul's epistles are usually, uh, they usually go at this, you have the doctrine uh, at the beginning, and then uh, the practical outworking of the doctrine. You're united with Christ. A, B, this is how this should outwork in your life. And at the end of his epistles, you, you get these uh, expressions that we sometimes call one anothering expressions. Uh, we have them in Colossians, in the chapter that we looked at, where we're to teach one another, admonish one another. You've got to confess your sins one to another. You've got to uh, exhort one another. You've got to forgive one another. The one another is underlining the fact that we are in relationship in the church. No man is an island entire unto himself. We are interconnected, and the church functions in that way. Formative discipline, then, is an essential part of a healthy gospel church. We neglect it to our peril. We neglect it individually to our peril. If we're not part of the ongoing process of what we're calling formative discipline, we neglect it to our peril as a congregation if it's not taking place within the congregation. We're going to look at using Colossians 3.16 uh, as our text. We're going to look at, first of all, the aim of formative discipline. What is the aim of formative discipline? The aim of formative discipline is that the word of Christ might dwell in you richly. How will this happen? As you teach and admonish one another. In what atmosphere or environment must this happen? It must be done with wisdom, with all 
wisdom. We're going to look at these uh, three things together now. The aim of formative discipline is for the word of Christ to dwell richly in us. We're all sinners. In case you didn't know it, we're all sinners. <laughs> You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Each one of us is sinners. We rejoice if we're saved by grace, but we are sinners. We will struggle with sin. Every day we're on this earth, not until Jesus comes again and we're renewed, will we not have a struggle with sin. That is a fact. We need one another in our struggle against sin. If we're aspiring to holiness, it's something which involves the whole of the church. And if we're going to keep each other from sin, one of the things that we need to do is we need to saturate our minds with Scripture. Not only that, but that scripture is to dwell richly in it. In us. It is to enrich us. Now, that takes more than preaching. Let me be clear, it doesn't take less than preaching. If there's not a solid expository preaching going on in a church, then uh, the word of Christ is not going to dwell in us richly. We take it as a given, that's where we start, that there is solid gospel preaching in a congregation. But we need to go beyond that. Uh, There are congregations, you see, that pride themselves in being Bible churches, Bible congregations. But once you begin to look under the surface, you have to acknowledge that the Word of Christ is not dwelling richly in them. Uh, There are plenty of sermons taking place But the people themselves, if you ask them, would show that they don't know how to handle the Word of God. They don't understand that there is a a, a thread going through the whole of Scripture, that's one book. They wouldn't be able to tell you the storyline of the Gospel. They wouldn't be able to communicate the Bible to somebody outside the church. What's more, they would tend to divide their lives into compartments, so that this compartment is religious and it's for the Sunday, and the Bible is for this side of life. And then there's this side of life here, and that's my my life from Monday through to Saturday. It's my work, it's my sports, it's my football, it's my politics, it's everything. And never the two shall meet. They don't have a biblical worldview. They're not using the Bible to assess the art. Sport, uh, politics, uh, the world as it is around them. Life's divided into the sacred and the secular. James says, James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. So James is saying that... Uh, Preaching's not enough, sermons aren't enough. It's practicing what is preached from the Word, which is acceptable to God. Listening to solid preaching is not enough in itself. The Word uh, must change lives. What counts is the practice of the Word. So we must never make good preaching an end in itself. What's our aim? Our aim is good learning and good practice. So if we were to to review our our progress as a congregation, 
and we were to review uh, how Bible-based we are, how, how important the Bible is to us, then we would need to be asking the question, are people being changed by the Bible? Is the word of Christ dwelling richly in people's lives? Is it working into our lives? So what we're aiming for is every person in the church to be shaped by the word. A, in what they understand, and B, in how they live their lives. These are actually uh, two patterns. Uh, you find in, in the New Testament uh, two patterns mentioned. First of all, uh, in 2 Timothy 1.13, 2 Timothy 1.13, the pattern of sound teaching. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. That's the first pattern. The second pattern, which is to be worked into the life of every Christian, is the pattern of godliness, godly living. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. These two patterns are the result, or the aim of what Paul is speaking of in Colossians 3.16, when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, then it will result in the outworking of these two patterns. Pattern of sound teaching, pattern of godly living. There must be instruction in the word done amongst the people of God, and there must be moulding of behaviour. The word, in other words, will inform and will transform. These are the two patterns that are worked out in our lives. That's the aim then. The aim of formative discipline is that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly so that these two patterns, sound teaching and godly living, will be worked out in our lives. How is this second? How is this to happen? Paul tells us in the next part of the text, as you teach and admonish one another. Teaching one another aims to fulfill the, the first pattern, sound teaching. Admonishing one another aims to fulfill the pattern of godly living. Now notice that what both of them have in common is that they involve Christians being in relationship with one another, building one another up. The word will dwell in our hearts richly through interacting with other Christians in the fellowship. So let's look at how we grow in our knowledge of the Bible, how the pattern of sound teaching is to be effected in our lives. Common misapprehension is that we only need to come to church and hear a good sermon and we will grow in sound teaching, that the, the, the pattern of sound teaching will be seen uh, in our thinking. And so you find that uh, in, in, in some congregations, people come, hear a good sermon, go away, and really they fail to benefit in the way that they ought to. The church becomes filled with sermon tasters, people who are absorbing uh, or being saturated uh, with biblical preaching 
uh, which is having very little impact in their lives. So I come, I, I plug in to, to the church, I hear the sermon, I disappear, I don't interact with anybody else. Uh, the word is not being, as it were, as Murray McChain said, being harrowed into my, my heart. And I'm not having the word dwell richly in me. Now, the church isn't meant to be like that. The church is about people interacting. It's not about a, a sum of individuals. We're growing up uh, or living in a very individualistic culture. Uh, and if it's individualistic uh, here, it's even more individualistic in America. And you hear all kinds of extreme things happening in, in the States. Uh, some churches in California, which uh, have become virtually Facebook churches, and people uh, in their church uh, involvement is done through closed Facebook groups uh, with uh, all the, the sermons, the giving, the discipling, and so on being done uh, through social media so that you can plug in or plug out as you wish. The biblical model couldn't be a greater contrast. The Australian uh, theologian Peter Adams uh, speaking about the teaching in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy in, in the, the Old Testament, says that the basic structure is that God has spoken. The command, hear, O Israel, is characteristic uh, of Deuteronomy. And then it's followed by instructions to remember, teach, discuss, meditate on, and practice the words of God. And what is encouraging is that Moses spells out what it is to do these things. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So the truth and the response to this truth are for everybody. For the whole family of God, it's for, for parents and aunties and grannies and grandpas and young kids and old kids and teenagers and young people. Everyone is supposed to be interacting and discussing the Word of God and teasing out its implications in their lives. It's a communal activity. Chris Wright, another uh, Bible scholar, the law was to be the topic of ordinary conversation in ordinary homes, in ordinary life, from breakfast to bedtime. If you've had the huge privilege of having had uh, Christian parents, and I did, then uh, you may recognize this in, in your own upbringing. For me, uh, I look back with gratitude on a godly father who took time outside Sundays to talk about uh, the gospel. Uh, when we were going for walks, when he was making meals and so on, it became uh, part and fabric of, of what we were as a family to talk about the Bible. Now, it's biblical to do this, we're commanded to do this, and at another level, educationally, it's sound to do this. Uh, there's plenty of surveys have been done on the way by which people retain information. Typically, we're told that people retain just 10% uh, of what they've learned by listening alone. That's pretty humbling for the preacher that you're going to go out here and remember 10% of what you've learned of your hair this morning. 
But that 10% rises to 65% uh, when uh, you're shown an experience and discuss what has been learned. So if you want to multiply by, by six and a half times the amount that you're going to benefit from uh, the ceremony, then you need to do more than simply listening to the sermon. It needs to be worked into your lives. That is why our Lord Jesus Christ used what was called the rabbinic method when he was with the twelve. It's so obvious to us, isn't it? Jesus did not teach the disciples in a classroom. He taught them along the way. He taught them when they were at dinner parties. He taught them uh, through parables which encouraged them to think and to ask questions. It was an interactive method that our Lord Jesus used. It's interesting, isn't it, in the, the very text that we're looking at, the tail end that we're not really uh, focusing on, uh, when it talks about our singing in the church. Singing is primarily addressed to God, isn't it? So it's vertical. But Paul also speaks about the horizontal singing to one another in, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we are edifying one another in what we sing, and therefore, of course, the implication is our singing should be biblical in its content. But we are interacting in our singing, edifying one another with the truth. So the growth in the, the fruitfulness and the richness of the Word is through relationship. Therefore, we ought to be, all of us, in a relationship of accountability within the church. So we're meeting regularly with uh, one or more people who hold us accountable for living in accordance with the Word of God. Uh, that is the follow-on from what is the, the, the way the second part of the the, the, the instruction works out here to admonish one another. We have this, the pattern of sound teaching worked into our lives by, by discussing and interacting and sharing and outworking scripture with one another. And we grow in the pattern of godliness when we have people who will uh, bring us, make us accountable, who will speak to us uh, when uh, we're perhaps. Uh, going offline, or who will encourage us when we are seeking to please God. Again, these one another in commands. We're to confess our sins to each other. 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 11, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other. Not all sins uh, are appropriately shared uh, in a public gathering. But many are. And the thing to remember is that sin loves the darkness. It avoids the light. And when we bring sin out into the open, then uh, we gain mastery over it. It thrives when it's hidden away and unacknowledged. Then there's a positive element of not only confronting one another with our sin, but encouraging one another. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Hebrews 10, 24. 
How do we spur one another on to love and good deeds? Well, uh, that's done by example, isn't it? Uh, you can hear about a doctrine. You can even hear about how a doctrine should be worked out in your life. But when you see somebody practically living out a doctrine, that makes a far greater impact. You can hear about justification by faith alone. You can hear about how that should be applied. But when you see a sister in the congregation refusing to justify herself before others because she knows that she's justified by faith in Christ alone, that makes an impact. You can hear about how our adoption as children into the family of God is the most precious privilege that we have as Christians. But when you see someone who's clearly motivated by love of the Father in heaven in his Christian service, that makes the impact on our lives. So we grow in godliness uh, in a shared context in relationships. <coughs> Finally, we're told that this is to be done in all wisdom. That's the, the atmosphere in which it's done. Formative discipline, this positive side of discipline, is to be done wisely. We need wisdom, practical insight in carrying it out. The first thing to say is that we need wisdom to see the importance of this in our spiritual progress. Pride can blind us to this. Richard Sibbs, uh, in uh, his book The Bruised Reed, says that there are two sins which are more dangerous than others. And these, he says, are spiritual pride and security, the feeling of being secure. We need to be beware of the notion that we don't need to be in uh, a small group. We can delude ourselves so that we don't see the sin in our lives. You know when you're driving along uh, on the road and you're behind a lorry, uh, a lot of lorries have this sign saying, if you can't see my side mirror, that means I can't see you. So there's a blind spot somewhere uh, in the, the lane behind the lorry. There is a, a, a place where the driver cannot see a car behind. We have spiritual blind spots which we don't see unless we have others to point them out to us. That's why we need uh, these relationships of accountability. Folks who don't engage in small groups are driving on the Christian road with no awareness of their blind spots. We need our brothers and sisters to make us more aware. That means honesty, means humility, but it means blessing. Solomon says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. So, we need to acknowledge that we need these things. Secondly, uh, these things need the right group size. Formative discipline can't really be done in the big church. It's not something that really uh, can be done effectively on a Sunday. Uh, it needs to be done in, in another way. That's why it's important, we believe, for every member to be a member of a small group 
ideally both a community group and a prayer triplet. The community groups are where the pattern of sound teaching uh, is best worked out. That's the forum where working through what's been preached uh, takes place. And in the interaction that we have there, again to use McShane's words, the, the, the seed of the word is harrowed into the soil of our lives. And likewise, the prayer triplets are, are the best places for developing the pattern of godliness in our lives. Because it's there that we can, we can be open and we can share the things which are challenging us. And we can be exhorted and encouraged by others. So, let me encourage you, if you're not in, involved in, in uh, one or both of these things, then get involved. Uh, if you want to uh, get into a prayer trip and you're not in one, then just speak to me and we'll, we'll, we'll rectify that. I'll come along to the, the, uh, the joint community groups that are taking place uh, together over the summertime. These are, the, these are the ways in which the Word of Christ will dwell in us richly. These are the things that need to take place beyond listening to sermons. Third, we need to ask wise questions of one another. Thinking here especially of how we operate in our prayer triplet. You know when you come together in a prayer triplet, uh, there's somebody that needs to, to ask the daft laddie or the daft lassie question. In other words, the question that everybody thinks is too basic to ask. Nobody's willing to ask that question. You need to be the one who asks it. And I'm thinking of questions like, have you read your Bible regularly this week? Everybody's thinking, oh, we're all too spiritual for anyone to ask that question. That's exactly the question that needs to be asked every time. This is the kind of area in which we need to hold each other accountable. And we need to be glad to be asked that question. And if no one's going to ask it, then I need to ask it of the others. Because that's how we benefit. That's how we, we function. What's been most challenging this week? That's the kind of open question that will encourage people to be honest about the things where they're struggling. Because only when we know where we're struggling can we support one another in prayer. The daft laddie question. Make sure someone is asking that in the group. Lastly, wisdom in our teaching and admonishing means that we recognize the place of encouragement. Encouragement is so, so important. Wise progress in the pattern of godliness will mean that there's a healthy dose of encouragement in the mix. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. And one of the ways that it will deceive us is that it will, it will, it will induce a kind of paralysis in our lives. Uh, we'll say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm no good. There's just no way that I can be any better than I am just now. This is simply the way I am. That's the deceitfulness of sin. And it's so helpful when others will encourage us and, and even point out to the, the areas in which we're making progress. So that we can see that the, the power of sin over our lives has been broken, that we are on 
the road. You know, when you look at the, the one another passages, you don't get the impression that these are uh, discouraged, downbeat groups of people. Uh, they are upbeat. They are, they are victorious in, in encouraging uh, situations uh, in which to be. Uh, we find people loving one another, spurring one another on, and singing, singing to one another with hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Formative discipline. Absolutely essential for a healthy church. Let's commit ourselves to that. That we might make progress in these two patterns. Sound doctrine. God and it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, it is our prayer that your word would dwell in us richly. Lord, help us to give ourselves to uh, those biblical means that you have given to us, that the word of Christ might take a deep root in our lives, that it may bear much fruit, that it will be transformational, so that together we may become the people that we are looking for. In Jesus' name, we ask this.